Would you like your salespeople to be more professional? Would you like to have a really referable sales process? If so, stay tuned for my interview with Mark Cox and learn the four keys to success for sales and sales leaders. Hi, Shannon Waller here and welcome to Team Success. This is a special episode because I am interviewing my very good and very talented friend, Mark Cox, on four keys to success for sales leaders. So Mark, I am super excited, super stoked to talk to you because you have so much wisdom. You have kind of like peeled off all of the layers to help people get a lot of wisdom about what makes sales work, what gets in the way of them working, the structures that are needed. So I really appreciate you being with me today and with us today to kind of peel back the curtain and demystify sales. So thanks for being here. Well, Shannon, I always love our conversations and that kind of introduction is probably why. So thank you so much. It is just such a delight always to chat with you. And boy, you know, as you know, I can talk paint off a wall when we're talking about sales and sales process and discipline. So thanks so much for having me. I love your podcasts. Oh, thank you so much. I love it. So I'm going to have you describe you a little bit better than I could do. But I want to say that, again, as you said, Mark, we always have incredibly interesting, productive, and insightful conversations. So the chance to share this with other people is you know, two thumbs up for me. And you're a client of Strategic Coach and you are an advisor of Strategic Coach. So we work with you and have worked with you to help us really upgrade our sales experience. And we have made so many changes as a result of your coaching and your wisdom. We strongly believe in what you're doing. So now that's a little bit in terms of how we know each other, but I'd love to know how did you get started? What's your entrepreneurial path? And how do you find sales so fascinating? What made you choose that as a real passion? Thanks, Shannon. And I got to jump in. By the way, the learning is always two ways with Strategic Coach. You know, when you're an entrepreneur, I'm so privileged to have such great clients like Strategic Coach, where I learn almost as, Mm -hmm. you know, as much as I give. My path was a unique one, Shannon. So back in the day out of college or university, I actually started as an entrepreneur you know, was running student franchise painting businesses. Yep. But it was such a passion. And really during formative years, I got the bug. And then I moved into the corporate world in sales because I wanted to move into the corporate world. But the corporate world doesn't understand anything about the entrepreneurial community. So when I talked about what I'd done, these people couldn't understand it, but they could smell someone who could sell. So they could sense it. You know, and I went to professional sales roles, selling the early forms of technology in the 90s. and was really lucky, frankly, because back in those days, there were formal sales universities with technology companies. You'd get hired on, you went to sales university for three or four months before ever meeting a customer. They continued a professional education for operating guidelines and KPIs to sell. And then out you went into the universe to sell for a living, which I did. Sold technology, sold services, started running sales organizations, bigger ones, and then doing some really large deals. So hundreds of millions of dollars, and then one deal was a billion dollars. But what happened was, once I got to a certain senior level in sales, we decided to make a change. It's time for me to try a new adventure. Once I'd been sort of pulled into a company that was not a good fit from a value perspective, I just left. 
And so now I was going to have to find my next senior sales leadership role. And I turned around a few different sales organizations and a bunch of different areas in North America, but it was going to take a while. It's going to take about a year. Before I knew what had happened, a few companies had come to me saying, listen, we know you're a corporate sales leader, but we need help. Why don't you give us some of your time, give us some coaching, and try and help us while you're searching for that next senior role. And it was kind of fun. Before I knew it happened, two or three companies had kind of reached out to me to do that. They were so great to me, Shannon. They'd say, listen, we'll give you an office downtown. So while you're in your search campaign and interviewing, you can go anywhere you want. Just give us a day a week and you bill us. They kind of taught me the business. And then one day, I had a pretty senior interview with a very large, well-known technology company who wanted a leader for Canada to sell to the big Canadian bank, which was my sweet spot. And I was leaving this company, great company named Purefax, super successful still today. And I said, hey, gang, I got to leave. I'm going to an interview. They go, good luck, good luck. I literally walked out the door at Bay and Adelaide, walked down two doors to where this interview was. It was ironic, it was so close. And this was maybe the fourth or fifth interview for this company for their sales leadership job. There was about seven or eight people around the table. And in the middle of this three hour interview, I have this epiphany that says, I'd rather go back and work with Purefax than take over this company. And, you know, I kept the face, I finished the interview, went down the stairs, took my little knapsack, and instead of going back to Purefax, I made a right to go to a coffee shop called Mercado. I sat down, pulled out my laptop, had two cappuccinos, and then called my beloved Donna and said, I don't think I'm going to work for anybody anymore. I think we can build the business. What do you think? It was a bit of a statement, Shannon. It was mostly a question, like, should I do this? And to her credit, in a second, she said, do it. You'll be successful and you'll be happier. That was seven and a half years ago, 600 salespeople and maybe about 80 consultant clients later. So we've trained about 600 salespeople since then. And we've worked, you know, in an intense way as a consultant, like we do with Strategic Coach, with maybe 80 companies since then. Yeah. And the whole thing's been a pure joy. What an incredible story. I kind of liked that the market found you. People are like, great, do your search, but just give us some time, charge us. And then you actually had a different basis of experience with which to make your decision. So great entrepreneurial leap that you made. I love that. And we're grateful. And it sounds like you are a lot happier. It was six months in, frankly, you know, and you know me, I'm positive and optimistic. And I like to think I'm funny. I think I'm the only one, but I like to think I'm funny. I think you're but, funny. But Donna just pulled me aside six months in and said, you're happy, but you're way happier now. Mm -hmm. And I think what it was, first of all, I think in my heart, I was always an entrepreneur mm -hmm. from those early days of driving it. And the second I think I have a fairly high need for control. We know as entrepreneurs, we don't control the whole environment. These times are kind of a good reminder of that, but I absolutely control my response. And I just wanted to sort of chart my own path. I love the idea of trying to make, you know, every day earn our living as in the funnel, us and our team. And this is what I was meant to do. Mm. So, you know, lots of us have a basis in, corporate and it's a great place to get trained and learn the ways of the yeah. world. And, you know, corporate training was, we're a similar age. So corporate training was much more of a thing. I know I applied for one of those tech jobs. I didn't get it. Just saying. 
You didn't miss much. Oh, there you go. But yeah, there was a lot of great stuff available. You know, you were talking earlier about entrepreneurial companies and you're providing that same kind of coaching and structure and training and education that big companies do for their teams, but that has been almost totally absent from entrepreneurial companies. So phenomenal translation. Plus you've learned a ton as being a very, very successful salesperson yourself. So I can't wait to dive in. So you have put together something called the four keys to success for sales leaders. And I'm excited to dive in, but I'm going to hold back a smidgen because I'd love to know why. So obviously you came up with these because there were some problems that you were seeing that these solve. So what obstacles, what do you see companies doing? I don't want to say wrong, but you know, where are they missing? Where are they kind of oblivious to a certain aspect? I know because I get prompted all the time. Why do I come up with strategies? Because I see something that needs fixing. (laughs) So that's why I've created my content. And I suspect it's probably the same for you. So what are some, if there's one, two, three kind of blind spots or lack of knowledge that entrepreneurial organizations, sales, and by the way, when I'm talking about this, we're going to have owners listening, we're going to have leadership listening, and also salespeople listening. So what are some of the blind spots that you see in entrepreneurial organizations that kind of why this information is so relevant? Great question, Shannon. So I think it starts at the top, where in fairness for North America, there's some great research done by large companies like Salesforce that everybody's heard of. And and usually it all comes back the same that says about three quarters of companies don't grow significantly year over year. So huge problem. They either stay the same or they decline. So professional sales as a business discipline, by the way, kind of lags a little bit behind its peer groups. And at the core, you know, you look at accounting, you look at operations, you look at manufacturing, you look at marketing. There's this core standard set of guidelines and operating principles and KPIs across every business discipline. So we took the great finance team from Strategic Coach and tomorrow morning threw them in the funnel. At the end of the week, they know how to manage our P&L because there are operating guidelines like GAAP, generally accepted accounting principles. There's KPIs that come from all the financial documents. So there's a way of running that business function. But for years, sales has been kind of the Wild West. (laughs) Yes. And and it's kind of because 35 years ago, people treated it like a trade. Mm -hmm. And because it was a trade, not a profession, it wasn't taught in college and universities. So while every other business discipline had guidelines and standard operating procedures and the right KPIs, Sales is, hey, let's go find the person with a great personality who can pitch. Maybe that's what happened 40 years ago. Okay, well, I've done retail. You just reminded me of my own experience, by the way, which I'd almost forgotten about. But I started in retail sales. 100% what they look for is that. Then I moved with Strategic Coach. I started in sales. Nice. That was my first role. People said, oh, you've got the right personality for it. I'm like... Fingers crossed. I certainly hope so. But again, it was the Wild West. It was call people up, say stuff, and see if what you're saying connects with them, and hopefully they'll write you a check. I'd had some training because my previous company, I did sort of internal sales, if you think about it. And I had actually done some of the Bell Canada inbound and outbound sales training, (laughs) which by the way, was fabulous and has stood me in good stead. And I learned about assumptive closes and things like that. But that was, again, big company training. But your wild, wild west comment, so true. So it sounds like you're adding a professional 
element to this, which is something that most entrepreneurial companies probably haven't put that context around it. In our experience, you're absolutely right. We are. So the idea is, hey, can we provide some guidance with strategies, processes, and tools? Because there is a way of doing that. There are operating guidelines for sales. There are processes for sales. The problem is most companies don't know what they are. These amazing entrepreneurs that we work with, mm -hmm. you know, if they're in technology, the CEO probably wrote code that became a software program and that's their capability. And they sold a bunch of deals to get things off the ground. Right. Manufacturing, their engineers came up with a product. You know, oftentimes services businesses, they performed the service. But generally, nobody becomes an entrepreneur because they had a deep background in process-driven, well-educated sales. Yeah. So you ask, what's the challenge? The challenge is there is no standard set of operating guidelines. The second challenge, most companies don't have that as an inherent competency. And then the third real challenge is because of that, they default to let's just hire different salespeople each time and hope that the salespeople figure it out. Mm. And then they last for a couple of years, then they go get new ones, then they get new ones. And every once in a while they go, we're gonna go hire the Top Gun who's got a Rolodex who should be able to, you know, all these things, never works out. Mm. It just never works out. So the idea is how can we help the entrepreneurs or the business leader come up with, first of all, a playbook and then second of all, kind of a management system to help operate against that playbook so they can add a little bit of predictability to revenue generation because it's so important. I love that word. Well, it's interesting. A lot of entrepreneurs resist structure and predictability usually sounds boring, but I have to yeah. tell you, positive cash flow predictability, <laughs> we're all about that. <laughs> yeah, we all love some of that. Yep. We yeah. So it, being able to do something and produce predictable results is kind of the holy grail of sales companies who's, you know, management guru who said, you know, two big things, innovation and marketing. <laughs> That's really what companies have to be about. Marketing has a lot to do with how you present what you are doing to the marketplace and having a system behind that to make sure it's consistent, it's on brand, you are your brand, not just talking about it, that it's a solid reflection, that you lead people through a buying process. This is something that's been a little bit, you're corralling, you know, the horses is <laughs> how I think about you a little bit. Well, yeah. Thank you, Shannon, because it is so true. It's shockingly consistent, but I will say this. This issue with professional selling, you know, the lack of professionalism and performance in selling as a discipline, it's actually existing at the largest corporations as well. Okay. So in my past life before as an entrepreneur, I got brought in some of those places to turn things around because they just didn't have that same process and discipline because these companies that created this great generation of professional salespeople with the training you referenced, they're gone. Right. The training's gone. So now, folks, it's a lot of, hey, we'll just throw them in the deep end. We'll see what happens. If the salesperson doesn't work out, we'll hire 30 and maybe 10 or 12 will make it without really thinking about what are we actually doing to the confidence of the other 18. Mm -hmm. So we like to add a little you know, process and discipline to remove a little bit of the mystery. By the way, Shannon, it doesn't mean it's easy. 
But it just means that we have a little more control and we have a game plan to execute against, which makes the entrepreneur feel more comfortable and it makes their sales team feel more comfortable. They still have to do work. They just have a plan for doing the work. Yeah. And being thrown into just (laughs) after my first three weeks, the person who hired me, which was actually not Babs and Dan at the moment, who are co-owners and co-founders of Coach, but it was actually a salesperson, Susan. So she hired me and I trained with her for three weeks and then she went on holidays for three weeks, went on vacation. Oh boy. And I was handed a list of people that Dan had done a presentation to and I hadn't been at the presentation and I naively called people. <laughs> I don't, I just got really lucky whatever shone on me. And I closed three sales in those three weeks. So I swam, I did not sink, but it was, I had no clue what I was doing. So adding some knowledge and some, you know, the KPIs and just that sort of thing would have been super helpful. I'm glad I figured it out. I'm good at that. I'm independent like you are. But for me, it was a little structure and training would not have been a bad thing. And we did the best with what we had back then. So no issue. So I'm sure people are kind of dying to know at least what the titles, and I think you're going to leave the fourth one as a mystery for a little bit. <laughs> leave it as a mystery, sure. But what are the first three really key aspects of your system? What are the first three keys? Sure. So if you're running a business today and you want to determine, hey, how does my role as sales leader, if I'm the entrepreneur and the sales leader, or I'm a sales leader in an entrepreneurial company, I think my job ends up being the best job in the company or the worst job in the company, frankly. And we've seen both. On the same day. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Right? So the first three things that determine that are your sales team, the people. The second thing, the sales culture within the organization. And then third, the sales management cadence or the management system that you execute. Okay. When you get your head around those three things to start with, they can help determine whether we've got just a great job or, you know, we've all been there, by the way, usually when we're a new manager or whether we've got the worst job in the company. Mm. You know, I certainly have my experience as a new manager where it was terrible, you know, 22, 23 years ago because they took the really high-performing salesperson who's driven and focused and all these, you know, Piccadillo attributes that nobody likes. And then said, okay, Mark's in charge. And they put me in charge of running a team who are doing exactly what I used to do. But my results had been dramatically different than theirs. So right off the bat, I'm a new leader. Now it's all about me, not about the team. And within about four or five months, we'd seen the world's quickest decline in morale on this team and my decline of morale. So I was miserable. They were miserable. They didn't think I appreciated what they brought to the table because I didn't. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't understand why they couldn't execute exactly the way I'd been executing. And because it was a big corporation and I was so terrible at this role, they kept promoting me. Because corporations make bad decisions. So it was only when I got promoted to running a division and a a business that I knew nothing about that I could then default to a sales management system that made it more about the team instead of everybody having to do exactly what I was just doing. You got that out of the personality, out of that, and got it into the system, which is a really interesting point, Mark, because entrepreneurs actually stay captive in their own businesses because it's about them. 
And the only way you can scale ever is you have it be about your, we would call it value creation process, which is what you're right. showing us today. Thank you. Rather than just your personality. Strategic Coach is not the Dan Sullivan program. Right. right. It's the strategic coach program, which we have Dan and 17 other coaches coaching. Right. And so I think that is such a critical point, making it about the system, not about your personality, because we're all different. And I want to talk to you about any tools that you use or what your definition of a great sales team member is or salesperson. But if we just leave it there, it's a very low level functioning. And as you said, morale decreasing for everyone involved, but really having it be about that system. So let me just take a little sidetrack here. What for you? As someone who's experienced a ton of different salespeople, more than most of us ever will in our careers. So what for you, and you already mentioned some of your characteristics, but what do you look for in a really great sales team member? Let's go back to the person who hired you, let's call it 20 years ago. I'm not giving away anybody's ages, but around that time frame, 15, 20. 29, but thank you. (laughs) I was going to say, so exactly what they on you, Shannon, to be honest with you. So first of all, intelligence. Mm, Thank you drive, humility, and we get into why, and then passion and optimism. Those are the things that we look for in salespeople today. And by the way, you'll notice I didn't say experience. No, you did not. So intelligence, drive, humility, passion, and optimism, because 40 years ago, you know, sales may or 50 may have been about pitching. Hey, pitch this, pitch this, pitch this. Salespeople were talking brochures because they had to be. There was no brochure on their product, so they had to be the brochure. It's so true. Today, we already have the brochures online. The internet is the talking brochure. Mm-hmm. So what salespeople are today is what you would have defaulted to do to be successful back then. They're intelligent, but they're curious. They're intellectually curious. They're far better at asking questions than they're pitching. The salesperson makes the conversation all about the person on the other end of the phone, not about them and their product. And these days, you know, or on Zoom. So we would have hired you. And frankly, that's a big thing today. When people look at the team, we said, hey, one of the keys is your team. We didn't encourage entrepreneurs out there today, look at your team today through that lens. Mm -hmm. Are they intelligent? Are they driven? The humility to me is, and this is a a key one, is growth orientation. Mm. Do I want to get better? But do I believe there's ways of getting better outside my already innate abilities? Can I learn? Are you open-minded? Are you willing to know that you don't know? That kind of thing? Totally that kind of thing. Exactly that type of thing. Because I actually think what we do in terms of this business discipline, now is a very good example of that. For the last three or four years, surveys have gone out to large sales organizations in the U.S., about a thousand of them saying, what's keeping a sales manager awake at night? Mm -hmm. Every year, it's the exact same answer, transforming the sales organization. It's never-ending transformation. Mm -hmm. Whatever we did yesterday may or may not work tomorrow. We used to be pretty good in face-to-face sales calls. Guess what? That's on hold for a while. So there's, you know, artificial intelligence now going to play a bigger role. So if you're going to be on the team, you have to be open-minded that we want to continue to learn and develop and get better. Interesting. Some of the most successful business people I have ever met are in strategic coach. And every time at a different event, a different customer, one of the consistent thing about massively successful people 
They still want to learn. They still want to take it to the next level. It's this growth orientation. So those are the attributes, Shannon, that we focus on. And then we try, by the way, a lot of times we'll try and help entrepreneurs figure out how do you set up an interview process that smokes that stuff out? What's the line of questioning to determine if somebody has growth orientation? Mm -hmm. So we know today in certain regions like Canada, there's 1.1 million salespeople in Canada. 40% of them have never received this much sales training. So we've been on the line here for 15 minutes. They haven't even got that. Wow. But they keep churning jobs and moving around. One in three of them churn jobs every year. One in two of them miss their goal every year. Mm. But somebody's hiring them because they don't know how to interview or they don't know what capabilities they really should be interviewing for. Mm-hmm. Experience in your industry is overrated. No industry is that complicated. We can teach people to sell enterprise software. That literally is rocket science. We can teach anybody anything. But what we can't teach them is how to learn. They have to have that desire and that commitment to learn. So that's a big one on the people front, looking at your team and then having, frankly, most sales leaders never stop recruiting. Yeah. You know, it's this ongoing process because Mm -hmm. there's a very small number of capable salespeople out there that you'd actually want on your team. That's an interesting statement. So you're saying most existing salespeople fall short. They do. At least one or two of those, if not more (laughs) of those measures. Yeah. You know, the people listening to this podcast will know the same thing. Their team, it's the same people who hit the goals every year and the same people who come short. And certain people are a combination of both. They don't hit their number and they're bad for the culture. Ooh. Okay. Let's talk about that, please. As someone who's written multiplication by subtraction, which is how to gracefully exit wrong fit team members and coaching people to have an entrepreneurial attitude, which is, you know, again, Mindset and attitude are huge when it comes to being successful in an entrepreneurial company. So talk about that because you have a little grading system in terms of who's a star, who's coachable, who's trouble, and who's actually a wrong fit. So can you go through that? Because I think it would be a super cool thing for people to think about. Well, we start with the people and then we say, well, how do we determine whether they're right for us or not? And that's where the second key component comes in, which is your culture. So, by the way, anybody who's had any experience with strategic coach whatsoever to a person, anybody I've ever met who's seen strategic coach goes, my gosh, what an amazing culture. What an unbelievable culture. Well, part of it is you folks named your values. You've named what you want in terms of your, it's not a mystery. So you said, this is how we're going to conduct business. These are the things we want as part of our culture. We want people to showcase these values. It's not a mystery. And it's such an amazing thing to me that anybody within Strategic Coach, it looks like they started as Strategic Coach when they came right out of university. And then 20 years later, they're still there. Everybody at Strategic Coach seems to be young, but they've all been working there 20 years. So it's just shockingly positive. On the sales front, my advice to entrepreneurs is, Let's name what we want in terms of our culture. What are the values that you want showcased by the sales team so we know? Because if someone's performing, great, and they showcase our values as a company, fantastic. Easy one to keep. If somebody's not performing, meaning not hitting the goals, and they're not showcasing our values, easy one to make the tough decision. We may have to find another opportunity for them outside the company. Here's where it gets a little tricky. 
Next one that's kind of easy is, hey, someone's not quite performing, but they really showcase our values. That person gets time to be coached. Now mm -hmm. it's up to me as the sales leader to coach them. This last one is the trouble one, and this is the one that's more controversial. You're gonna have people on your team today, they bring in revenue, they bring in sales, but they're bad for the culture. They're not gonna make it long-term. So there's my microphone enhancer. This is the tough decision for companies to make. Mm -hmm. Because you're saying, well, hang on. Yes, they're bad for the team culture. Yes, they're negative. No, they're not collaborative. No, they don't share. It's more about them than the customer. But by the same token, they're bringing some money in the front door. This is one of the most common things that we see when we come in as a clean set of eyes. We say, hey, we got to have a tough decision here. Right. The entrepreneurs don't want that decision, but it's going to get made one way or the other. So either we make it or that person's going to make it. Eventually, all roads lead to the same thing. That person's not going to stay with your company. That's fascinating. And I would agree. But sometimes it's interesting. Like how many times do people not make that decision? Okay, when they keep a trouble person or a slash toxic, someone who does not reflect the values but is producing and, you know, cash flow is king. So what happens with companies, not just the people, what happens with the companies who tolerate that behavior? A couple of things. It chips away at that sales culture. So that value system that you want to create, you've got someone who's, if someone gets to operate outside of the system, then first of all, the other people that we're holding accountable to that value system say, how come you're treating them differently? Mm -hmm. Those people also tend to have sometimes a high degree of influence on the rest of the team because they might have had tenure or they might be showcasing that they're a little different and better because they've been there so long and they do produce numbers. So they tend to be very influential on the team. So it's a bit of a strong word, but I'm comfortable using it because I've seen so much of it. They poison the team. Mm -hmm. And then they poison my new hires. Right. Because my new hires come on board with the organization and they're sponges. They're looking to try and figure out, okay, I've heard what Mark said as the sales leader, but how do things really get done around here? And these folks who generally are not obviously positive they tend to influence these new folks to a disproportionate amount. So, you know, sometimes you get the gift that keeps on giving. These people are the pain that keep on giving. It, it ebbs and flows, but it always ends the same way. You're better making the tough decision now and tear off the Band-Aid and move on. Right. I'm not sure if this is exactly the same, but sometimes you'll have this super, super, super high performer who does things his or her own way. And the rest of the team is sort of middling you know, not really bopping up. And then finally, because of either they get exited or they exit themselves, then the entrepreneur is terrified. They're like, oh my gosh, I've only got this midland sales team that's only okay. But then all of a sudden, when that person's gone, everyone else just goes and goes up and rises in capability and confidence and results and all of the good things that you've been looking for. Do you see that? We see that all the time. And when they do it, they say, why did I take so long to do it? Every time they come back two months later and they say, boy, I thought the world would end. And they go, why did I take so long to do this? The next day, there's a weight lifted from the sales organization. The mm -hmm. next day, every team meeting is better. You know, every one-on-one -on -one better. The environment is more positive. We have to have people 
who, you know, most companies have this customer first mentality. You know, we have to have people who want to do the right thing because that collaboration and positivity is contagious. And with all your background, Shannon, your level of expertise and what you focus your books on, you know this far better than I do. I know it kind of at the layman's level because I've just seen the effects of not doing it for so long. And then I've seen the effects of the next week when we've done the right thing. It sends a message to the rest of the team that we stand behind the culture. The culture matters. And, you know, Dan Sullivan is a big fan of standards. And there's no point having standards if you don't uphold them and you don't make hiring and firing decisions based on those. This was kind of funny. And this is one of the dangers of being around a long time. I can say too long because it's <laughs> a long time. Is that to my mind, the company values are part of my DNA at this point. I'm like, how can people yeah. not get the values? Anyway, we did unfortunately an exercise to do that. And the sales team came up with these core values that, if not all of them are actually part of our company core values. So it was great. That exercise with our team was phenomenal, but you have to be willing to live them. And just a fun story, not so much about a troubled person, but about someone who was a wrong fit. So we hired someone on the sales team. This was a while ago. And apparently he sat down, it was a guy, could have been a gal, but he sat down at a lunch meeting with some of the other team members. And it was in the cafe, which is where yes. Dan sits. And I think Dan overheard or else one of someone else told him, he said, and the guy sat down and said, you guys don't really believe any of this crap, do you? <laughs> oh my gosh. And then he was gone, fortunately, yeah, I think by the end of the day. Yeah. But it was like, dude, we are not faking it. This is for real. So there are people that will actually make it through. By the way, it was before you, but it was, you know, we'll make it through your probably fairly rigorous hiring system just because they're good interviewers. Yes. You know, they're yeah. good at interviewing and you can still end up with a dud. So it's happened to all of us, I think. <laughs> By the way, you bet it's happened to me because it's still a tough process even if you have that rig. We don't know the future. We just know how they performed in the interview. We don't know what's going to happen when they face adversity. Mm-hmm. But Shannon, I just touched back on what you said. You said, hey, you know, our core values are in my DNA. Think of that. That is what the magic of coach is because that's why you love it. That's why you've never worked a day in your life. You're just <laughs> doing what is your unique ability and loving every day of it. Mm-hmm. I really do find today, particularly with young people, when we're bringing on, we've just hired in three new people. We saw the opportunity during these turbulent times to kind of build out our team. Let's, yeah. let's use that to ramp up some new people, get some new people up. And the truth of it is they want to be part of that kind of mission. They really want to help companies. They know what we do helps companies flourish. Great companies get to be more successful because they get to apply a process. They want to help it. And they've seen people in our workshops absolutely have these epiphanies and they hear how important it is. These young people more than ever before, it's not about a career. They want a mission. They want to do something that's meaningful So I think that value system is really important to get the next generation of talent into the business. I think, again, such a critical, critical point, Mark, is that we are all, every single one of us listening, we are selling ourselves to the market. Yeah. Get great salespeople, right? If you don't realize that you're selling all the time, Dan would call it front stage and backstage, right? Yes. You're selling backstage and your core values are actually what are attractive to people. And you talk about 
what will attract really great sales candidates and really great people. And having a powerful sales culture where you actually live and uphold the values. We also implement EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System, and that's a big part of their drive. So not just having it be the Wild West, not just going whichever way the wind blows, but actually having a steady framework and foundation that people can count on is really attractive. I mean, people can go, oh, those are core values that I already have. Core values are actually shared in my comprehension of this so far in my learning. It's really hard to change your core values, right? Right, well, right. We're all looking for, oh, who mirrors ours? If I'm a driven person, I want to find a company that's driven. If I'm not a driven person, I want to go somewhere where I can hang out. Yeah. I actually don't know any of those companies that are profitable, but that's another story. (laughs) We're all looking for our match. And so you have to actually be fairly, I think, public these days with who are we? What are we up to? What do we represent? How do we make our decisions? That will help you attract your match in terms of a great salesperson. Yeah. You name it. I love this. Okay, so we've touched on sales team. And by the way, I know we could talk for hours on each of these topics. (laughs) We've talked about sales culture. Now talk about sales cadence, because this is a really interesting one. And I love the word cadence. So what does this mean exactly? At the core, Shannon, I think a sales leader, you know, whether it's the entrepreneur or the sales leader, they actually have the toughest job on most senior executive teams because they have key stakeholders that are relentless in terms of requirements for time and attention, you add it, coaching, whatever. So they've got clients, customers, most important. So we've got to put the customer first. We've got sales teams, which as you know, require everything under the sun. Coaching, direction, management, counseling, anything you can imagine. And then we've got the rest of our executive team or our CEO who is directing us well as a major stakeholder new products, new services, new goals, new objectives. When you combine those three stakeholders, this is a very easy job to get buried in, where Mm -hmm. you are literally running around upside down and backwards with no time. You're reacting instead of responding to everything. So it's a shockingly difficult job. So in the corporate world, yeah, you know, the tenure of somebody who's a VP of sales, shockingly short, like crazy short, under two years short. But when we think of in all of our companies as entrepreneurs, just a really tough thing to do. So one of the things you try and do is the power of routine. Mm. How do I apply the power of routine with how I'm going to coach my team, inspect my team and motivate my team, but I've got to book it in. Mm. make sure it's going to happen. So if that's the how I'm going to do it, all I have to worry about is when I show up, what am I going to do? So the management system is really this big one. A lot of the entrepreneurs we work with say, hey, how do you manage and motivate the team today? And they go, we have an open door policy. And I go, no, you don't. Not anymore. So what's been happening is for years, every conversation is a hallway conversation flyby. So their sales team's not getting great direction. They're not getting great coach. What they're getting is somebody who tells them what to do in a three-minute interaction, which frankly diminishes their sales IQ. By the way, that is the most brilliant term I've heard in a long time, sales IQ. Ooh, that's good. By the way, in my coach workshop five months ago, I love your bookshelf. And on the bookshelf, you had a book called Multipliers by Liz Wiseman. 
Multipliers by Liz Wiseman. Beautiful yellow cover. Mm -hmm. That's heard the theme of that book. Fantastic book about multipliers and diminishers. And how leadership is you're either multiplying the intelligence of the people in the room or you're diminishing it. Mm. So trying to be intentional. So that's where this sales management system comes in where, you know, running the sales team doesn't become overwhelming. I've got a management system to do that. And that might include bi-weekly one-on-ones with my sales team. That might include, you know, weekly or bi-weekly team meetings, also formal agenda. I might do other things like have quarterly kickoffs, but most importantly, I'm going to have time in the field. So that's where I sit before the noise hits. I'm going to sit down and say, how am I ensuring that I'm spending the right amount of time doing the right things for my sales team? 77% of people who get coaching go, this is not helping. I wish I wasn't doing it. However, we know that the stats also tell us folks who coach properly, those sales teams do better. And it's a tough thing to do to get numbers these days. So how do I set up my management system so I don't feel overwhelmed all the time and in reaction mode? And I can intentionally think about how do I elevate the future performance of my sales team? Mm -hmm. And how do you know whether or not you're doing good coaching? Right. If 77 percent of people are like, eh, waste my time. But the ones who, when you do it well, their results go up. You have to work hard just to hit the 50 percent mark. You do. So another book we love, The Coaching Habit. Love that book. We're Michael Stanier. Stanier. You got it. Michael Bungay Stanier. Great book, The Coaching Habit. Seven coaching questions that are brilliant and how to make it a habit. So one of those questions, by the way, at the end is, was this helpful? Mm-hmm. So let's think about that. Was this helpful? What happens, I think, with entrepreneurs, and I'm the same way, Shannon, most of our coaching, there's kind of six types of coaching, but most of our coaching today ends up falling into kind of one category only, which is opportunity coaching, right? So the opportunity coaching is, okay, we're chasing the end of the month here. I'm starting to sweat. Okay, let's go through your three best opportunities, and I'm going to tell you how to close them. And that is this ongoing thing because sales leaders are challenged with this incredible, powerful metronome of saying, better hit the number, whether it's the month or the quarter, you know, you feel the pressure. So statistics say that we as sales leaders, even good ones, what we're good at is taking deal leadership and closing deals, being a resource for information, and sometimes advocating for our teammates internally. Right. Those only help me close this month or this quarter. They don't give me any long-term sustainability. Mm-hmm. It also tells us, the research says, things I'm worst at, interviewing salespeople and coaching them, which give me sustainability to my sales organization. You know, hiring the right people and coaching them properly, I'm better off a year from now or nine months from now. So all these things, by the way, are totally understandable. This is a very difficult job. The simple answer for us is let's establish a cadence, you know, proper management system. And then what we're going to do is establish objective of that meeting, desired outcome of that meeting, agenda for the meeting. So it's not just a free for all. And then pre-preparation by the salesperson that they have to do before they walk into that meeting Mm -hmm. and pre-preparation by me before that meeting. Because when I prepare for it, then maybe instead of telling them the answer to everything, which nobody likes, I can think about, okay, I'll assess their situation here, but why don't I just think about the best questions I could ask them 
so that they figure out their situation and they decide what the go forward plan should look like. Oh my gosh, just to validate that. So Dan has this definition of coaching. Well, not a definition. He said, really good coaches ask really good questions, right? It's actually not about the answers. It's the questions that can have you think about something differently. And strategic coach, if you get down to it, it's just frankly a whole series of questions. You know, like how are you spending your time? Who's your top 20? What's your unique ability? It's all questions. Now we have concepts that obviously go along with them, but we have you, people think about things differently. And you, I know, have a series of questions for different circumstances beyond just the most immediate opportunity. I'm kind of dying, not always of laughter, because I'm like, what you just said is so flipping true. It is all opportunity coaching. The fact that there are actually five other types of coaching is like, oh my gosh, I want to know more about that. Because that's what's not sort of happening. And people get so last minute. And that's what creates this kind of roller coaster. The cadence, if I'm understanding correctly, really helps to kind of level out the drama. Thank you. In sales, me salespeople tend to be expressive, at least in our world, tend to be out there, not always the most follow through consistent. I'm a two follow through as per Colby, and lots of my colleagues are too. But it just levels it out. And as someone who can naturally do those ups and downs, I actually appreciate when things are a little bit more consistent and predictable, as long as I don't feel squished. But that's really interesting. You know, to take out some of the drama, I think, is such an amazing opportunity. You know, when we come in and do consulting, like we did with Strategic Coach, like we do with Strategic Coach, we're in the one-on-ones. So for, you know, the last seven years, side of my career doing my own one-on-ones, all we do every week is sit in on -on one-on-ones. We're coaching leaders, you know, helping the sales team. And sometimes we just observe first and don't say anything. But what happens in most one-on-ones, oh, I have a one-on-one with my salesperson. Salesperson comes in, no agenda, no pre-prep. Instead of thinking about all the things we need to do to be successful as salespeople, they're going to talk about one deal and get into storytelling about Mm -hmm. the deal for 20, 25 minutes, complete tangent, and then they just want to get out of there with no commitment, no agreed upon plan. That's what they want to spend their time. Or they might talk about one or two barriers the company's putting in their way, Mm, which sometimes might be illegitimate, by the way. And by the way, Coach has been a great example of this. When you come up with a little more of a formal management system, not complicated, but just a little more formality, and then the one-on-one has a formal agenda, there's some free form, but there is an agenda of things to think about. Over time, you're helping the salesperson focus in on those things that are most important for their success. Mm. And they'll literally come into one at some point in time knowing what the issue is. So they'll identify their current state. They will identify their issue and they'll already have their remediation plan because they know the question's coming. And all you need to do is go, that sounds great to me. What can I do to help? Now we're in a different situation here. Somebody's taking ownership for their plan, their results. They're committed to it. And then just a little tip we always like, after every one-on-one, we go, hey, Shannon, what a great discussion. Would you mind sending me an email this evening and outline the five things you just talked about in terms of our go-forward plan? Mm. So instead of my sales management team running down, keeping notes furiously, I'd rather have them be in the moment in the conversation, authentically be listening to their team. But we need to keep track of what somebody committed to. 
So let's have the salesperson send us the email. And by the way, that email is what we're going to use for the basis of our next one-on-one. Right. By having them write it down, they're taking ownership of it. They're not being told what to do, which most of us independent creatures hate. That's really interesting. So it sounds like ideally it's a very, unless there's some corrective issues that have to be dealt with, it's a very collaborative conversation. And also you're really developing that person's professionalism. It's interesting because Dan talks about thinking about your thinking. Again, what strategic coach is actually all about. And I read a phenomenal article that came up actually on Facebook. It was actually an article about another one, a study that was done that talked about strategic mindset. Essentially, it's what's working, what's not working, and what am I going to do differently next time? And if we can encourage people, frankly, all humans, not just salespeople, to do that as opposed to just reacting, and then there'd be fewer stories and less time wasted and more productive activity and decisions made, we would all be better off (laughs) is my sense of things. Yeah, you're so spot on, Shannon. The reason, you know, we like the formal agenda and so forth is I think salespeople, you know, will drop their guards and we can work together if they believe I have their best interest at heart. And if they can come into a meeting without the fear of wondering what's going to happen in this meeting. If we don't have an agenda and a guide, every meeting could go any different direction you know, their amygdala is kind of triggering going, is this a dangerous situation for me? Right. So the consistency of the discussion and, you know, the why, here's why we focus on these things, because we think they're the leading indicators of success in the future. Now we can just have a good discussion, but they have to believe we want them to succeed. Mm -hmm. It can't be about us as the sales leader. And one of the hardest lessons I guess I learned in the corporate world was, You know, without all this structure and, you know, the process and my management cadence, I thought I was pretty good at what I was doing and I thought I knew the business pretty well and thought it was okay, right? I go, okay, I'll just react to everything. You know, whenever somebody comes at me, give me a harder problem. Hey, can you figure out the value of pi to 72 digits? Sure, give me a pen. Now, that'll last for a certain period of time, but all of us will burn out of our energy or we're out of our best selves and we stop being intentional in terms of what we end up doing, and then it defaults about us. Right. So I think the system gives us some time to be intentional to think about, okay, this meeting's about them, not what they're doing for me, but how we're elevating them. Mm-hmm. And so how do we get there? And the system will free up time for me to do good thinking to have a better outcome. You talked about this will be a really great fit for a team member who is intelligent and intellectually curious, driven, you know, has humility and passion and optimism. These meetings will be a joy. That might be a bit of a strong word, but it'll be really productive, right? Yes, they will. By the way, team leaders also need to meet those criteria. (laughs) They do. Yes, please. Let's not take that for granted. But that was my thought. It's like for someone who wants to keep growing, who wants to keep being better, you know, we're big about celebrating wins. So what have you been doing well? And then what can we do even better next time? You know, that's a growth conversation to have. And that's something I think I would look forward to. And I'd like to know that someone cares and is paying attention. That would be, I think, my result of that. One of the good things the corporate world gave to me was amazing sales leaders. I just got coached by some, like four or five in a row over 15 years that were spectacular. Not the softest, warmest people I've ever come across. There weren't a lot of hugs going around there. 
But what they did was basically enable you to grow into expectations. One of the things you find out about this kind of simple system is, when I've set it up this way, certain one-on-ones as a sales leader, I can't wait to go to. Certain one-on-ones, I wish I didn't have to go to. Interesting. When you feel that way, that's telling you something, Mm. right? Maybe I have to go back and say, I wonder why I would rather skip this one. I wonder why I'm not looking forward to this one. I wonder if that person meets our value system. I wonder if that person's living our culture. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that person has passion and optimism or the complete opposite. Right. And again, no judgment on people, but certainly we have to be very aware of who good fit for our sales team because sales culture is so important. Mm-hmm. We didn't chat about this much at the beginning, but sales is a challenging I mean, you talked about like being a sales leader is one of the hardest jobs out there. And you, you actually talk about all the different stressors and things that have to, people have to manage. But knowing you coming in the morning, knowing that the majority of people you talk to, probably 80 to 90% are going to say no. Yes. Or not respond to you or yep. even be more aggressive and hang up or whatever form of communication you're taking. That takes a certain gumption just to want to go, woohoo, I can't wait to be told no 55 times today. Right. right? I mean, that takes a certain cool type of human to be able to do that. So deep respect for all salespeople listening. But again, it's not for everybody. And I did sales and I was very successful and made a great living at it. But it was not my end goal either, which was interesting. So I got restless is probably the best. So I did really well for three years and eight months. That's how long I lasted as a salesperson, right? Now, I still sell in different ways, but not in that same kind of like actually accountable every day, every week, every month for results. So kudos to all of you. I want to make sure we get to the fourth one, which I know up until now has been a secret. So we've talked about the sales team. We've talked about sales culture. The sales cadence is fascinating and actually a way to decrease the stress of the sales leader and increase the confidence of the sales team. Nice. But are you willing to share your fourth key? Yeah, the fourth one I'll make short. It's always hard for me to make anything short, but the fourth one is you need your sales playbook for the company. Mm -hmm. You nailed it, Shannon. This is a really hard thing to do every day. And when salespeople pick up the phone, what's happening is you know, because as humans, we're pretty good at avoiding scary situations. You know, that's the way we evolved probably as humans was our amygdala was firing all the time. And, you know, the paranoid survived. And those who are a little overconfident got eaten by the saber tooth tiger. So that's how the gene pool keeps going. It explains the daily fear that I'm reading about in the newspaper. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things we need to do as leaders of companies, we have to provide guidance on how they're supposed to hit the goals that we've set. I think sales leaders are always pretty good at, you gotta hit the number. But we've fallen down a little bit in terms of explicit guidance on how to get there. And those are the core elements of our playbook. That means we have to be cognizant in terms of what's our value proposition? How do we think we can compete and win in our market? Who should we be prioritizing in terms of pursuing that market? What should they go after? And then when we do that, what's our sales process? So how should they be executing that engagement, whether it's you know, a small transaction, large transaction, simple sale, complex sale? You need a sales process. You need a sales strategy. You need basic qualification. So there's some fundamentals that I think too often we assume they'll figure it out. But the salespeople 
shouldn't be the ones to figure that out. The sales leader needs to build their playbook. Mm-hmm. Those are the things I think that are very important to provide that guidance of, hey, we have a point of view as to how you can be successful. How many activities and sales objectives do you need to accomplish in a given week or month to actually achieve your result? So, you know, what is that pipeline? Do I have to dial a phone a thousand times or 1,500 times or 20 times? How many quality conversations do I need? How do we explicitly map those things out with a point of view so that they have a guide in terms of what are the leading indicators that will get me my result? So rather than just waiting for the result, which is kind of like managing your business by, you know, looking in the rear view mirror, let's think about how we provide guidance on they should do to be successful in the future. And that's the playbook. That's the core element of your sales leaders or entrepreneurs sales playbook. Interesting. And I know that's a big part of what your coaching is about, which is super cool. And it reminds me, you know, there are a couple of things. It's really important to have a salesperson. You need to be referable. Your product absolutely has to be referable. What I've got great coaching on is that actually your sales process has to be referable. And we work a ton by referral. So if I'm referring someone to your company, I want to have complete and total confidence how they are going to be treated. Is it going to be consistent? Are they going to get called back? Let me just tell you a bad story. So a long time ago, we wanted to get more referrals. So we did what we did when we were a little tiny company and we passed around basically a legal pad and asked people to write down the referral names. Well, my colleague and I called like the first 20, maybe the first 30, and we were getting people's siblings, spouses, people completely not qualified. So we never finished the list. Well, guess what happened? There were some people later on the list that were great. And our clients were upset. They're like, how come you didn't call? And we were like, based on some information, but not all information, we made an assumption. We lumped everyone together rather than looking at them discreetly and screwed up royally. (laughs) Like what a thing not to do. That was not a referable sales process. Just (laughs) That was education that I got, which I'm super grateful for from our friend and colleague, Bill, but it's just so critical to actually be referable as a salesperson, which is kind of what you're talking about. You're talking about being a professional salesperson is being incredibly referable. Obviously your product or service or experience needs to be that, but you also need a referable sales process. So your playbook, bam. And by the way, one of my favorite things that I've seen a coach is the DOS question. So your sales process is so incredibly effective because the sales process is fantastic. Let's talk about you. Tell me about what a better future looks like for you, Peter. If we were having this conversation a year from now on August the 14th, 2021, what has to happen to you personally and professionally for you to be thrilled with your progress? Excellent job. (laughs) Oh, thanks. I had to look at my computer to get the date. I forgot what day it is today. But very specific date where they're starting to envision a better future. You took them toward that conversation. And now that they're going to think about, you know, what are the barriers, the dangers, the opportunities along the journey? Spectacular sales question. Mm-hmm. Entirely about them before it gets anything to being about us. That's why it's so incredibly effective. And when you say a referable sales process, I think a lot of people, when the DOS is executed beautifully well, I think a lot of people are giving answers they haven't thought of before. 
that's the genius of that question. And I just need to give a shout out. It's Bill Cates who talked about- Bill Cates, the referrals. You need to be like those three things. And that's actually, I think, when we went looking for you because we realized we did not have a referable sales process because I was Thanks, like- Bill. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Bill. And it was interesting because I could go, salespeople will sell product, check. Salespeople at that time, most of them, check. Process, yeah. question mark. We didn't have one. Like every single person did it so individually. So there's so much more I want to talk about and I'm wishing we had more time as always. But two, how do people figure out their actual playbook? Because I'm, you know, strategic coach I know is different than some other companies, although we do coach our clients on that particular question. But do you survey and look at what's working? Do you add in knowledge from what you know? How does a company figure out what their, it's almost like an ideal way to close a sale because not everyone follows exactly the same steps, but I'm sure you're looking for that core 80% of behaviors that will result in a somewhat predictable result. How do you figure that out? So we've tried to simplify that model down. You know, one of the things that we've been so privileged to be a part of Strategic Coach, be a client of Strategic Coach, the one thing I notice about everything with Strategic Coach is the amount of effort that goes into simplifying something that's complicated so that it's then effective because mm-hmm. complexity is the enemy of execution, right? And to be honest with you, nine years ago, we were pretty good about getting in front of a room and confusing everybody. That might have been my unique ability, in fact. So what we've tried to do, Shannon, we tried to simplify the elements of a sales playbook. And, you know, these days we do webinars that are open to the public and we'll walk through the elements of the playbook. So during the turbulent times, we just wanted to provide some value. We'd never done this before, but we're actually just sharing all of our tools and our concepts with one-hour webinars to try and help with that. But, you know, without making it a plug, we have tools you could download from our website today. You don't have to engage us. You just go to the website to watch a couple of videos on the playbook, and then you can download some tools to get started. But it's really thinking about okay, what product do I sell to which target market? Why should I buy it? You know, really but taking it down a level, taking it down a level. And then once we understand that, okay, what's my engagement process to find them? And then what do I do in that sales process? And most sales processes are remarkably simple. They focus on discovery. You know, for the last 25 years, almost every sales process I've seen and researched and built focuses on discovery. That doesn't mean it's easy, but there's learn about them, identify needs, wants, opportunities, goals, a better future, and then let's figure out how we help them. But the order is critically important Mm -hmm. because anything else is just peddling. Well, and you made a point earlier, which I think, again, is incredibly timely, especially for those of us who've been around for a while, is that as a salesperson, you cannot just be a walking brochure anymore. No. We were in a leadership meeting this morning and someone's talking about we do lead scoring and stuff like that. Well, someone's already looked at our website. He's already checked out the dates. He's already participated in a webinar and he's already downloaded some of our downloads. And then he requested a call. It's like, oh my gosh. So he's read the darn brochure and now he wants to actively engage. So now we need to show up with information that's not available on the website, which is who they are and how do they connect with what we have to offer and is it a right fit? It's more of a dating service these days, right? Than selling in the old way, which a lot of people think is manipulating. If you have to manipulate people into doing business with you, there's probably something wrong with your business is my estimation. But it's again, how do you find that match? 
who do you find the audience that's a right fit for the incredible value that you provide? And yeah. that's what your salesperson does, right? That's how I think about it. And you know, the good litmus test for all the salespeople listening to this out there is if you ever come across a company that advises you to do anything which isn't 100% transparent or true or something you'd be comfortable, you know, discussing with your grandmother, don't work for them. Right. None of that other stuff works. It's just shenanigans. It doesn't work. And frankly, because there was so much of that stuff for 20 years, that's why doing it now is so hard. That's why every time somebody picks up the phone and realizes there's a salesperson on the other end, a little bit of a wall goes up that we have to break through through strategy. So we tell the truth. But again, there's a real move afoot where the value of selling can differentiate your company. It could be the competitive differentiation for your company. Your sales process is competitive differentiation. Mm. So this is something to be proud about. It's a profession. Execute it with our head held high. And that also supports you through some of the resistance or objections or outright rejection. Mm -hmm. When you know you're doing something great with a proper professional process, mm -hmm. those things hurt you a little bit less. That's a really great point. And the ideal perspective, especially at the beginning of your process, is a really powerful question around discovery. You're actually a partner. You yeah. actually become a strategic partner in their growth, in their development, in their goals. And if you're really seen as a partner, you are not put in that position as a slimy salesperson or whatever people's biases are, who's trying to manipulate them into a result that isn't good for them, because that's the worst case scenario. You're actually looking at someone who's actually, who has their own success criteria, who wants to see whether or not you actually belong. You know, we, our salespeople are membership advisors, and that's a very accurate term. It's like, is it appropriate for people to be a member of Strategic Coach? Because frankly, we're kind of picky. And having a way to set that up and differentiate yourself at the beginning with your effective sales process is absolutely essential with that playbook. And by the way, we'll give this information at the end, but I don't see the reason to keep anyone in suspense. It's in the funnel.com. So in the funnel.com is where you can get some of those tools. Because if you're like me, immediately you want to start figuring out where your stuff goes <laughs> in the sales process. Just kind of an epilogue question. Well, actually, there's two things I want to ask you. One is the business world has changed and it's changed dramatically in 2020. But before I get to how do you sell during a pandemic, I've just noticed that with the speed of communication and the volume of communication, the number of touches it takes to get someone's attention, the number of times you have to ask for the close has changed. What is some information you can feed to people so they go, oh, so if I was expecting to get an answer after three outreaches, can you agree or disabuse me of that notion? Gotcha. Thank you. Great question. So when we do our coaching and training, Everything's fact-based and all that kind of great stuff. And then every once in a while, we say, we're going to ask you to suspend your disbelief. The engagement process, we call it the first contact process, is one of those areas. It actually takes somewhere between 8 and 12 reach-outs to get to someone in this day and age, even if they want to speak to you. A reach-out could be a voicemail. It could be an email. could be a LinkedIn reach-out. And we really love video, video reach out. So where you send an email, but there's a little picture of me in a video and I'm holding a sign that says, hi, Shannon. And I've recorded a 30 second kind of value proposition statement with a point of interest to get an approach call from you. 
There are a couple of companies like Vidyard. They're in Canada. They're in the Kitchener-Waterloo Tech Corridor. And another company is called BombBomb. Yeah, I've heard of them. You can download free versions of this to practice up. But if we call those reach outs, Shannon, it's going to take between 8 and 12 reach outs to connect with someone. Wow. And people don't believe it. They go, well, no, that can't be possible. But the research keeps coming back and back and back, and it always proves the same thing. When research is done as well, particularly in the U.S., we say to salespeople, how many times did you reach out? And the average comes back at they say they reached out 3.1 times. They say They say, I reached out 3.1 times and then I stood down. The facts, because all these things get counted now, is they reach out one and a half times. What? Their impression of what they think they did and what they actually did is lower. No. So, yeah. So, people give up way, way, way too quickly. And our ask to everybody out there is, have no judgment when you're reaching out. Have no judgment. If you execute that kind of process. Right then what you're going to find is you're going to catch somebody after you've reached out eight times. And as soon as they pick up the phone and you catch them, they're going to go, I've been dying to talk to you. As a salesperson, you drop the phone and go, if you've been dying to talk to me, why didn't you respond to any one of my seven or eight reach outs? But as all of us listening to this podcast know, today's a Friday. We're not going to get out of here today. We're going to leave the office today at 6 or 6.30 or 7 o'clock. And we're going to have a list of 23 things we didn't get to. So the only things that matter for me today were the three biggest things I had to do. And Shannon, this podcast was one of them. And it's been such a delight. But but there's so many other things that I should do, but I'm just not going to get to them. I had to zone in on the three most important. There's two or three technologies we're going to buy, but I'm not going to get back to those salespeople today. No one will get back to you. You have to catch them. And then after you've executed a proper first contact process, if after, let's call it 12 touch points, if you work for in the funnel, if we couldn't engage them, then we're happy stepping away and saying, we took a pretty good shot. We're going to put them back into a nurture campaign. Right. That's gold. That is so cool. So Mark, I'm very clear that you and I could talk for days. But one last, last thing that I want to grab from you is we are now in a pandemic. We're recording this, as you mentioned, in August of 2020. Are there some tricks? Are there some, well, if anyone's looking for a silver bullet, I'm sure there is not one. But are there some ways to connect with people now differently, better? Some people are still in crisis mode. Some people are like, nothing happened. You know, there's a big difference. I know for me, Going back to your previous point, if someone leaves me, I signed up for a video series, which I have still not yet watched, and the company has probably called me or emailed me in excess of 20 times. Wow. I have not responded uh, because I actually haven't watched the darn video yet, so I don't even have anything to talk about. And it's like, oh, you're a bigger future, and I'm like, mm, that's what I do for a living. <laughs> yeah. I'm interested in this particular capability, but I realize someone leaving me a voicemail, pretty much guaranteed I will... A, not want to listen to it and resent the time that I do have to. So there's some actually ways to not reach out to me is what I would say. So what are you finding? What's working right now? What isn't working right now? Because we're in a very unique period of time. And I know for our sales team, it's been a challenge because you don't actually know the status of the person that you're talking to. So given your incredible bandwidth for this, what are you seeing? What are you noticing? 
so a couple of things in your video person's a good example. I think if you want to engage somebody, we have to prove very quickly that it's not about us, it's about them. And that means we have to do the research and share that on every voicemail, email, video. I know the person, I know their company, and I found some unique point of interest that most people are not going to have. And I'm going to get that into my introduction in the first 12, 15 seconds, because I have such a short period of time before they 337 me <laughs> that I have to be able to stand out. So let's get that point of interest in there. If someone had responded to you, Shannon, let's say the company's called Columbia. Hey, Shannon, it's Mark Cox from Columbia. I got to say, I just listened to your Scary Times podcast with Dan Sullivan, and nothing has made me feel as good during these turbulent times. Thank you. By the way, the reason I'm reaching out is you've done the video series. I'd love to grab 15 minutes on the phone. Our chance of getting you to respond to that kind of reach out exponentially increases. Just went up a thousand percent. Or even if you check to say, hey, you know what? I've noticed that you've signed up for this. Doesn't look like you've had a chance to watch the videos. Is there anything I can do to help you? Have you forgot your login? Like even just notice whether or not I've done the first step would be great. But yeah, if you've actually invested some time in learning what I do, oh my gosh, I love you. And that takes three minutes. That's the other thing. People think, oh, I don't have a half an hour. That takes about three minutes. We show that every time we do a webinar. The other thing is to remember when I do that, even if you don't respond back to me, your impression of me as a salesperson increases. So you still may not have time to call me back. But the next time I call, and you look at call display, you go, actually, he was reasonably professional. I'll take it. So it becomes accretive. So my impression of reaching out professionally with a voicemail, maybe I did a video email, maybe I then did a LinkedIn reach out, and you took a quick look at my profile, and you, know, you avoided my face, but the rest of the profile looked reasonably professional. So you, know, you might have more of a tendency to respond. That's the first one. So that's the first sort of during these unique times, things to take away. We need to stand out by understanding who we're reaching out to. The second key thing is they want to talk to you. So if I work, which I do, <laughs> work with the strategic coach team, the amount of value that strategic coach could provide any entrepreneur without the immediate expectation of commerce, by the way, just through your podcasts, through your Facebook lives, through the information online, the tools you can download, there's a shocking amount of spectacular value that could help anybody today. So when I'm reaching out to somebody to get through my fear of rejection or resistance, I'm comfortable that if I'm engaging them in an authentic conversation, then they're talking about devastation with their company, which by the way, is a lot less frequent than you might think. I'll talk about that in a sec. Then I go, well, listen, I'm so glad I reached out. We have so many resources to help people. One of the things I think would be particularly helpful, and this is the truth, would be Shannon Waller's amazing podcast with Dan Sullen called The Scary Times. There's 10 hours of free podcasts. I listened to all 10. So for two weeks in a row, I listened over lunch, and I was better in the afternoon than I'd been in the morning every single day. So I think if you have those elements of value in your back pocket where you're comfortable, you can help somebody through your sophisticated sales process, helps me break through any resistance I've got or fear of rejection. 
in our weekly webinars, we've been asking consistently three or four different questions that try and just pull a general optimism for the future. The beginning of this, you know, and it's informal. Shannon, we have anywhere between, we're not strategic coach, so we have anywhere between 70 and 100 people join one of those webinars. I know strategic coaches' numbers are, I'm trying to attain strategic oh, coaches' numbers. Those are really good numbers. Those are really good numbers. <laughs> but we ask different ways of saying, how do you feel about the future? Because we have a lot of the same people coming back. The optimism today, for example, the days of Friday, we just did it. We had two thirds, if not three quarters, saying they felt that the next period, 30 or 60 days, was going to be the same revenue as last year, if not better. So the feeling of optimism is getting more and more positive. Two of our clients had their best sales month ever in June. Wow. Ever for the company. One was a SaaS company. Another one was construction materials company. So we always like this idea of no judgment. When I'm reaching out to connect with somebody, I want to find out about them. But I'm not assuming everybody's having a terrible time. Right. Many companies are seeing opportunity. Many entrepreneurs see only opportunity. That's kind of in their DNA. So I'm not anticipating a call one way or the other. I'm going to have an empathetic call. And if there's an opportunity for commerce, I'm on it. But if there isn't, I'm going to help them. Oh, I love that. I think having that sort of generous attitude, well, A, know that you don't know. Yes. I don't want someone making an assumption that my life is terrible when it's really not. There are people's lives who are much worse than mine. Please give them your empathy. It feels a little weird giving it to me. So being super, super appropriate to your audience is very essential. I've had a couple conversations with people about that. And also no judgment that people don't want to talk to you, right? Right. And having a ton of confidence. And, you know, you talked about having things in your back pocket. This is the value of being around for a while is that after a while, you've just got a lot of tools you can pull out. I call it stocking my quiver. I just know that there's going to be something that someone says that I've got a resource or a tool for. Right. Right. Most of the time it's coach stuff, but you mentioned one of my favorite books, The Coaching Habit by Michael Bungay Stanier. Uh, The other book, which I haven't read yet, but I'm going to. So we can be helpful and resourceful. And when you are that person, you're now someone who's generous, who's giving. You read it for the other person, not just for themselves. And that says something. That's who we're looking for. Our radar is out for who wants to take from me or who wants to diminish me, right? Or who wants to multiply me, to use your terminology from that. So I think if you can set the record straight really, really fast by some questions you're asking or how you approach them, you will differentiate yourself, which is the point. If someone thinks you're a commodity like X, Y, and Z, or Z, then you don't have a leg to stand on. You're not going to get very far in that conversation. You don't. You're so spot on, Shannon, that, you know, the key point on that one to me is there's things that all companies can offer their target market today. So companies like Coach that are amazing, you have so many online resources, the sales team needs to have their three or four favorites that they'll pull out of the back pocket to help. But even, you know, let's pick a construction materials company or a services business, What they may be able to bring to the table is market insight in terms of what the rest of the industry is doing. Office furniture company where people say, well, we were coaching one of those the other day and the the sales team was going, well, nobody's moving back to the office. So what we can say, I said, gauge your clients because they're going to be moving back to the office. He goes, well, what can we offer them? You can offer them insight 
and strategies in terms of how they should move back to the office. Yeah. They need to understand what the rest of your customer base is doing in terms of proper distancing, plexiglass, entrance, exit. You actually know a ton about those things. So there's always this reason to engage. And the truth that we really never recognize is our clients and prospects really do want to engage us. They want to hear from us as long as it is about them Mm -hmm. and as long as we can add value. Mm. You know, the ones who don't want to hear from us is, hey, I want to tell you, you know, I've got a nice new microphone to sell. They don't want to hear it. But if you can help them, which you can, you're also going to feel much better about those conversations. And by the way, when you have eight of those in a row in a given day, you feel so good. Mm-hmm. Might be some opportunities that come your way, be some commerce, but you just spent a day thinking about other folks with kind of an abundance mindset, strategic coach, thank you. I just feel better about everything. I really appreciate that. And I think, again, just talking about trying to sell during COVID and pandemic and lockdown and all those things is people are isolated. Yeah. Physically they're isolated, but also intellectually they're isolated. And when you can provide, oh, this is what our clients are doing. Like, especially Dan, we had multiple two hour sessions. Our other coaches did that. You know, we reached out and talked to our clients and just, even if you're completely you know, in quarantine and none of your people can go to business and your clients are gone. You know, if you're in a restaurant business, just not being alone is hugely valuable or getting the trends. Some of my favorite people that I know that I follow on Facebook, these are business relationships. They're like, okay, how's everybody doing? And I have to tell you, I read almost every single one of the comments. Wow. It's like, okay, how are people doing with moving back? Or how are people doing with this particular issue? And I am so grateful that they are the leaders and ask those questions. Their credibility goes up because they are the ones hosting those conversations and sharing that information. And I find that extraordinary. So if your company isn't already doing that, which I'm sure they are, then do that and then share that information. Coach is lucky because we deal with every different kind of entrepreneur. So we have a lot of... You know, I had a great conversation with dentists a little while ago and gave a sales presentation. A client hosted it, but it was like our content because he wanted his group to see that. And it was so interesting just getting a read on how everyone's doing. I can then go and talk to other dentists about people that I've talked to. You know, it doesn't take a long time to get a lot of information going. And imagine with the sales teams, we were so privileged to coach a software company that had global sales team. It was an opportunity for us because we used to do workshops in Toronto and they were going to send seven or eight people to a workshop in Toronto who were in Canada. Then they said, well, train our whole teams, 58 people, but they're all over the world. So when you get that group of people together, the insights that they all have, the different industries and what's taking place and the strategies, that just became massive market insight that the next customer prospect. You know, for the folks on the line, Shannon, I'll tell you where I really love these conversations. Go after your competitor accounts right now. Reach out to them to say, listen, lots going on, I know, but we wanted to reach out, no immediate expectation of commerce. Wanted to share what we're seeing in the business and the industry. We also have a few resources to help you during these unique times. Do you have 20 minutes on your calendar on these three days? Next Tuesday at nine, blah, 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 blah. Their sales teams might be paralyzed right now. They're not reaching out. Right. If you're reaching out to some of your major competitive accounts to make your capabilities available, if 
The best case scenario, we build a sales cycle, awesome. The worst case scenario, we just built one better relationship that's gonna help us two months from now. Oh, that's so great. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you for that because I think, you know, hopefully people are getting a little bit out of paralysis, but it's still, it's a bit of a rocky start for some folks. So really sharing that particular very timely insight, I think is great. And just knowing how long it takes now in our new super busy, crazy electronic communication world that we're in that it's, you know, eight to 12, I think you said. Eight to 12 touch points. Yeah. And I know that asking for the close, you just have to keep asking. Just having that information is so, just to set expectations. If we have an expectation that we're the brochure and that we should be able to connect with people and have them buy after three times, we're not very professional. (laughs) That's a salesperson. I love actually getting that up-to-date information. So if you want to tap into Mark's incredible talent, brain, and team, go to inthefunnel.com. Thank you for being so generous with the webinars. I'm definitely going to, I don't even do direct sales anymore and I want to participate. (laughs) Maybe we can get you on our sales team, Shannon. That's my long-term strategy here. There you go. Okay. I really do like the cut of your jib here. So I think maybe we could lure you back into the wonderful world of professional selling. (laughs) All right. I'll have to see if my unique ability goes in that direction. (laughs) This has been totally awesome. Thank you very much for having us, by the way. Oh, you're so welcome, Mark. And I love that we get to have this conversation that's so specific to salespeople, sales process, sales team, sales culture, sales playbook, all of those amazing things. And thanks for being so open and sharing, you know, how you do things, what you've noticed, your history, because I know for someone who's been around, you know, 29 years with coach and in business before that, your trajectory is, you know, I've not done a similar one, but I've been around for the similar, like the time we're almost the same age. Yeah. So for me, I'm like, check, 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 check in terms of how things are changed. So getting an up-to-date version from you for me is super fun. Thank you for being your wonderful, fabulous, specific self. For me, this is just a great chance to share your wonderful information with my audience. So thank you very much. What an amazing pleasure, Shannon. I'm always amazed, you know, you and I chat for an hour and it feels like it was seven minutes. It's true. I can't believe the time's over, but thank you so much for having me. And we'll chat again soon, hopefully. Okay, good. Again, mark your information is in the funnel.com. I presume everything is findable there. Is that right? Everything's there. Perfect. Okay. Thank you, my friend. Have a great rest of the day and hopefully we'll get to connect soon. Thank you, Shannon. We'll talk soon. Okay. Sounds good. Bye.